welcome everybody to episode five of the safe house podcast um as always i'm your host andy it's great to be here my dad pastor bob executive director and founder of safe house is with us good morning good morning we're gonna keep telling some stories today and yeah we're gonna shift focus from just some stories today too we talked about um, a couple days ago. Also with us in the studio, as always, is Brandon. What's going on, man? How are you? Hey, not too much. How are you doing? I'm good, man. Good. We're getting ready to... Uh, I can't believe we're at five of these already. It's like we just started last week. I know. It like, it's and- gone really fast. We got some exciting updates, and we had teased them last week, I think, and we got an announcement at the end of the episode today about some new things that are going to be happening we're excited about. So Yeah, I'm excited to get them announced. Yeah. Uh, so what we're going to do we're, today, we're actually going to, announce... we're going, not the whole thing. You're, oh. uh, you don't even know exactly how it's going to go. So you just got to right. roll with it. Okay. Yeah. But, but I mean, I know what we're going to, you announce. know what we're going to do. You just don't know we've exactly just been teasing how deep it forever. we're going to announce everything. Yeah. I mean, at, at what point does people, you know, not even care anymore. It's like, you know, they're going to be holding signs out in front of the building <laughs> just like they are. Give me my freedom yeah. right now. You yeah. Know? Oh, that's something. Yeah. We're going to get into some things today. That's funny. You mentioned that. Um, last week we talked about, uh, we, the challenge that we talked about was for you to consider who your champions were and the people that made an impact in your life or that challenged you or that they put you on their shoulders, something that happened that they did or said, or some role they played that, you know, pushed you further along. And we got great feedback from that. We're excited about it. And we want you to continue to be challenged by, uh, what we talk about the stories that we tell, we're not just telling so we can talk and fill air. We want these the, the, the first four weeks. And I think we got maybe one or two more weeks worth of just kind of breaking down the history of the company and kind of how we got to where we are. The purpose of that from day one has always been to just illustrate that this vision has been through the ringer and we've, we've earned it because of the fire and fire, um, purifies things and we're sharpened and, you know, some other analogies that sometimes sound cliche, but they're true is that, because the vision has been put through such a rigorous testing period, you know, it's, it's been solidified and it's deep in our hearts and it's when it works, it works really well. And when it doesn't work, we, we, we learn from it and we grow. And so what we're going to do this week is we're going to share another one of what you've been calling the disruptions, the, the things that have kind of thrown things off of their normal pattern, their normal course. Yeah. I think in the past, what we've done further things, when we've talked about disruptions, it's been, bad things that's happened that disrupted the the focus of what we're moving forward, you know, moving forward and what forced us to go in different directions. This is a little different disruption. This was a disruption of something was an opportunity that came our way that I really wasn't interested in and um, really was pushed back. I was pushing back on it, but it was one of those things that the door was barely cracked open. And so we pushed through and, and it came about for us. And then we didn't even know why it happened until a year and a half later on why this um this position that we was put in yeah so uh, to give everybody to give you kind of a recap safe house was an after school program that's how it started within the confines of a church you've heard these stories you can go back to other episodes and listen to the detailed stories of that but through the time it became a residential facility we were in an old hospital in warren which we haven't talked about that transition from getting there and then from there to to that that's a different story maybe for today maybe for another time but we were in that old hospital in warren we transitioned to a new hospital the, the new building the newer was older a new hospital. building it was still an old hospital the in new Youngstown. old hospital yeah and then from there we went into great detail in the first episode of going from that 
location in Youngstown to so where we currently now. are. Right. And so <clears throat> the um the the disruption, even the positive, the the transition of today's story falls right in the gap kind of in between that second hospital, like the the second location we were in. Correct. And then yeah. the current place that we're in right now. So right. while we were still in that hospital before the landlord said you got to get out things Some, were running things good. were running good we had good plans yeah. we had you know we had good leadership good in leadership place. we had gone through a bunch of transitions in leadership at that point you talking about building it you know from the from the bottom up or from the top down and just the different ways that you have to get the right personnel right. in place and so today this this story that we're talking about this transition that happened happened while we were still in that building and things were rolling which is why when the opportunity presented itself, it wasn't really something to deeply consider. No. So <clears throat> we're in the studio that we're in right now is in a church building in the Coitsville, Ohio area, which is, if you're not from this area, it's Youngstown. It's basically right kind of on the cusp of east side, the Youngstown. east side of Youngstown, right. uh, Northeast Ohio and um, the camel and Boardman. And there's a couple like kind of Metro areas that are all suburbs of Youngstown all around us. Um, and there's, there was a church building mm-hmm. that, uh, used to be a Presbyterian church mm-hmm. and that was empty forever, right? For a while. Well, Wasn't they had empty for a while. They had six people that were attending it. And then I think the summer that they approached us, uh, they had quit having services in it because it was too hot and they basically had decided to sell it. So why did they approach you? Why? Why? Well, it, let's let's rerun. Re- want to go back rewind to the a little bit okay. about probably three weeks before that. Things at the residential was doing really good. I was kind of um, we rebuilt the the management team from the top down. I think this was the third time that we would have rebuilt it, um, and. Um, in fact, we still have that management <laughs> team still today. And this so is that this was, is after. This is after the a potential coup takeover Correct. that we talked about last week, I believe it was. And then there was, and then there was another no, transition, which we haven't that, talked about, which will is a different story. Right. We're not really doing these chronologically as much as we're doing them in like right. how we've learned from them, I guess. Um, and so we are in the middle of we've we're in the the back end of a third shift in management, right? Um, and. Yeah, Which was a bad shift. We're in the second building of the residential that we've been in. The after-school program at this point had been dissolved. The, the safe house after-school program at this point right. had been dissolved. And Refuge was born. Refuge Correct. was in existence. And so <clears throat> safe houses, the, the Sunday morning stuff that we were doing for a while, we're not doing at this point anymore. A little bit on occasion because we use that, that one building a little bit for some Sunday morning stuff every now and then, but there wasn't a normal regular church thing happening. And so all of our focus was on the, uh, on residential as far as safe house goes. Right. So that's kind of the, the picture of where we're at. And things were going smoothly. We were, (laughs) you know, um, we had the team put together for a period of time and things were good, uh, all around financially, business wise, ministry wise. Um, we were having a lot of success. Mm -hmm. And um, I got a little itchy, I guess, you know, to do something, um, as you guys, you and Courtney always say, and, and Angie, is that I've got to stay busy um, or I get bored. Um, and that's usually when we build buildings. But um, <laughs> I was getting itchy because it was running smoothly. And Angie came up to me 
I don't know, it was an evening during the week, and she said, I think you need to get back in the podium. And 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 I'm like, what? And she goes, Yeah, I think you need to. I need you. I think you need to get back in the podium. I think you need to start preaching again. And I looked at her and I said, Well, I'm not interested in going through renting hotel buildings and starting a church up and doing all that stuff. Man, I said, Been I, there, done that. There was and, a period where we rented a banquet hall in yeah, a hotel, set up, tore down every week with a mobile church set up. Yeah, and we'd go there every week and set it up. I yeah. completely forgotten about that. Yeah, and. I told her, I said, I and kind of was flippant about it a little bit with her. And I said, you know, I just made this statement. I said, well, I said, if if God wanted me back, I said, if God wants me back in the podium, he's going to have to hand me a church. And I just kind of walked away and didn't think anything about it. And Angie made the statement as I was walking away. She goes, well, I'm going to pray about it. I said, okay. So about three weeks later, um, I was talking to a guy that I had bought a boat from. And it just so happens he was a distant member of the church. Uh, and he said, Hey, um, do you want church building? And I thought he was joking at first. And I said, yeah, right. And he goes, no, I'm serious. He said, do you want church building? He said, there's a nice building up the road here that used to be my church. And he said, I think you could get it for a good price. And I said, I'm really not interested in it at, at all. So I went back, mentioned it to Angie and, and she was like, I think you ought to look into it. You can start your own service again. And and again, it's like, I'm not so sure that's what my calling is right now. I'm not so sure that that's what I'm supposed to do. We just come through these disruptions. Things were kind of settled down. It was like, I really, I really don't want, um, you know, more on my table. And and I said, well, I said, they'd have to give it to us. I said, I'm not going in debt for it at all. And basically blew it off. And so went got a phone call from an individual I never met that had talked to this guy at the boat shop. And he said, would you meet with us? There's six of us that are left in the church. Would you meet with us um, for us to discuss the purchasing of the church building to you? And I, I said, I'm really not interested um, in it. And I said, I, I'm not going to offend you. I said, I, we don't have a lot of cash on hand. I'm not going to gobble it up on a building that I'm not so sure what I would do with. Right. And so, um, he hung up, was nice ending to the conversation. And then I think it was a day later, he said, would you meet with the six of us? He called me back and I said, okay, I'll go meet. So I came in, looked at the building. They had moved basically everything out into this main area of the church and had a bunch of stuff for sale. And so I'd went through, looked at some of the stuff they had for sale and we're having a meeting tonight. He said, would you come by the meeting? And I said, I, I'm really, you know, I don't see what this could be used for right now. And and he said, well, if you had the building, what would you do with it? And I said, well, we probably would use it for, you know, I said, your backfield, you got four acres of land. At that time, we didn't have any grassy area for the residential. I said, I probably would clean that up and we'd have kids play ball and, and we'd use this like because as the a facility that we were in as a residential was an old hospital with without any lots. land around Correct. it, except what was used for parking. I lots. said, well, you know, I could use, I could use it for like a day programming if we wanted to. And he, he would go, would you have a church service in it? I said, I don't know. I said, it all depends, uh, you know, how many people we could get to come. Maybe I would have a church service on Sunday morning. And he said, would you please come and talk to the people? So I went to the meeting. They drilled me and drilled me and drilled me on, you know, who we were and what we was doing. And, and, and again, this was about six people that were left in the, in, in, Basically, there's a cemetery across the street, and most of the congregation is over there. Right, you know, they had just died off. Yeah, um, over the years, and and they really had they couldn't afford the building, and there was some problems with the heating system. And so, long story short, was um, 
I excused myself from the meeting and said, you know, they asked me, said, would you give us a price? And I said, I'm not going to insult you because I said, um, it's, it's not worth that much to me. Um, the building isn't. And, and for what we would be using for just, it, I was going to have to rework the building and the property to basically come within the vision of safe house. Yeah. The property would work, but it's, it's about a 15 minute drive. It's not perfect. Um, and I said, I, I, I said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to offend you guys. Cause I was going to lowball them. Right. They wanted like 240,000 for the building or something like that. And I was going to lowball them. I mean, I was going to lowball them big time. And I was like, I'm not just, I'm not, I said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it to you at all. And, uh, so I turned around and, um, went out to the truck and one of the guys followed me out to the truck and he said, would you please come back in? And I said, I'm not going to, I said, there's two, there, your people, you're, they're too nice. I'm, I'm not going to insult them. Right. And he said, listen, he said, all we're going to do with the money is give it to a charity, whatever we sell the building for. He said, we're not keeping the money. He said, we're giving it to a charity. I said, I'm still not going to lowball him. And he said, come in and offer $5,000. And I went, <laughs> what? What? And, and he said, offer them $5,000. I said, why would I do that? He said, they just want some kind of money to pass through the hand so all the liability of the building will come off of them. He said, offer them $5,000. So they were going to, they were, were they actually asking two hundred and forty? Mm-hmm. was on the market for like two forty, two thirty, something like that. And they're willing to take. They were after they caught the vision of what we were going to do with it. Um, they got excited, and they had another person that had looked at it that was going to give them some money, more money, but he was going to make it like a storage place. Um, and then there was another place that looked at it, and he was going to move in a bunch of car parts or something, and and they wanted to keep it somewhat in ministry is what they wanted the building to be because they had. You know, they had their whole life invested in here. And there were some problems. The parsonage of the old church was uh, attached to the property, and it had never been separated. They had been renting that to someone else on a land contract deal. There was a lot of things that was not done correctly. That was going to be a nightmare as far as getting an attorney involved and separate everything out. Yeah, getting it cleaned up from a legal standpoint. um, So um, I went in. And they said, what would you offer us? And I said, I was told to give you $5,000. And they all said, okay. <laughs> and and then the, then the, the guy looked at me and said, hey, he said, our boiler broke down last week, and it's on its last leg. Um, if you would repair the boiler until we can get the closing done, um, would um, we'll take that off the purchase price. And so I think the boiler repair was like $2,500. And so when I went to pay, I, we got the boiler fixed, the, I think, the next day or two, and we got heat in the building. And then we went ahead and hired an attorney and, and was processing the, the paperwork to separate the two pieces of property. And, right. And all that stuff was done. I think when it was all said and done, I wrote them a check for $1,500. <laughs> and then they turned around and donated a 1000 of it back to us. So we basically got the building for nothing is, yeah. is what we did. Um, it's, it's, uh, here's the neat thing about the building. Um, you know, in today's economy, you're not going to, you know, not everybody's in the, in the market for a a church. So you're going to sell it for whatever anyone would want to offer you to it. But we have an insured for 2.4 million. That's what the building's worth, um, through insurance. That would be replacement cost. And, Cause um, you, and you didn't put, I mean, we put money into it to update it, but it wasn't put, anywhere near that. No, we put about a hundred grand, um, cause we completely refaced mm-hmm. the inside of the building, um, all aspects of it. 
Um, it had been let go for 20 years, 15 years, just on a very minimum amount of money. Uh, put a new roof on it. Um, we've basically, you know, they had this old lean-to porch. It was off the back of it. We put a new ramp in there. Um, and the whole time we were doing it, we were planning to open up, have services, um, and then let the kids play in the backfield. Which we did, which we did we Sunday, did. So, Sunday we, morning services for a while in for here. For a few months. You know, yeah. there was a few of them that came, and there was a few others that came. And then I just felt like people, you know, it never really grew, but we never really pushed it to grow. Yeah. We just was like, we're going to be open if you want to come, come. Right. I preached a little bit at that time. Um, didn't expand it. I mean, we didn't really put energy into it. We showed up on Sunday morning. Whoever was here, we would preach, have a small service, and then we would, you know, dismiss them. Um, most of the money that they wanted to bring into it, we just um, donated it to a charity. Um, we didn't keep the offering. And um, But the whole time that we were getting the building ready and putting money into it, I kept telling my administrator, TJ, I said, there's just something inside that we're to get the building ready. Yeah. That were to just get the building ready, and and not knowing um, of what was going to be coming, but when we finally had the disruption, the last disruption before we moved into the new campus, right. we used this building exclusively for about fourteen months every day, yeah. um, through the building project until we got our our main administration so, building built. <clears throat> what to give people you know a, a, a like a visual. The church is, it's a big building. When you come in, there's like a chapel area. There's like a kitchen. There's like a sanctuary. There's some like, maybe we're used as offices or classrooms for Sunday school or whatever. There's a big old basement that's downstairs. Full basement. And then there's like this, this, like it was a garage, basically like a mm -hmm. storage garage that's yeah. off the side. And so and we'll show pictures we, of it. We got into this space when things were going fine. Right. We got into this space. And when I mentioned the studio that we're in right now, the studio that if you're watching YouTube, the studio is inside of this church. OK, we're in this little side office that we've converted into this space and it's used exclusively for what this this room is used exclusively for the podcast. And so when we went through that big disruption that kind of launched the current state of Safe House, the current season of Safe House, things were going smoothly. We, we obtained this building. Right. And then things went south, right? The story that we told in the first episode right. about the landlord, we were going down to vacation. You can check back to episode one if you want to recap that. But <clears throat> so we had to have the only space that we had guaranteed at that point was the land that was undeveloped. Correct. Right. And this building. Right. And now keep it. in mind, you need day programming because we didn't have the main building where we could do school or anything like that. We didn't even have a, a kitchen. Um, at the main campus when we opened, we only opened four houses. Four houses. And so we had, the, if you recall, we had that three or four months. It turned into about five months with some like help from the courts or whatever window right. to build the buildings from ground, from, from groundbreaking all the way up. And all we had time for was the four houses. So for day programming, office space for case managers, administration, all the people yep. that needed spaces to work, <coughs> excuse me, was going to come from another space right enter this building that we didn't want or think we needed and then it was presented to us in this way and so we took advantage of it we updated it and then it, it was at least 14 months i mean because yeah. it felt like it was longer yeah yeah because I mean, it took it, a long time the whole time we were preparing 
for it to become the lifeboat of safe house. Right. It really became the ark because it, um, during the daytime, we would bring all the residents and the staff over to this building and we ran our schools here. Schools. Um, we had our offices here. Our therapy happened here. I mean, here. our receptionist worked from here. She yep. had to hold down the fort, like from both places. Brandon, this in fact, was before she was, you came on board. The, like when you guys were working out of the church? Yeah. yeah like, absolutely. cause you came on board, what, six months ago now? Yeah, it was in uh, November, was when I was texting. So we hired. had just got finished my in, in December. We had just finished building the big gym building a couple months before that. Yeah. And so, like, Lynn, our receptionist, who's terrific, she held down the fort from this room. From this yeah, room. This room right. used to be Lynn's office, that, right? Yeah, right. that yeah. we're in right yeah. now. And, like, two, like, so it's not even on the same campus as the main, as the main place. No, but the neat thing about it, it's a mile and a half away from the main campus. Now, now let's think about this. Before we even knew there was a main campus, we were given this building that we didn't know what we were going to use it for, for nothing. Right. And, and I was told in my head and in my mind and what I felt was a mandate by God was to get it ready. And I didn't know what it was to get ready for. It was just we went through the whole building and we basically rebuilt it, remodeled it from the from the bottom up is what right. we ended up doing. All new carpeting, all new flooring, updated the bathrooms, updated the kitchen, did everything. And, and as we were spending the money, everybody's like, well, what are you going to use it for? And I went. I don't know. I just know I'm supposed to get it ready. Yeah. Didn't even see on the horizon that we were going to have the problem that we had. But when the problem came up and the question was, well, what are we going to do with the kids during the daytime? It was like, bingo. Yeah. God knew the whole time that we were going to need this building for day programming until we could get our main campus completely 100% done. I mean, we didn't have enough room, so we brought in, I think at one time, didn't we have three trailers temporary trailers in the parking lot for offices yeah we had two for an extended period of time but we so started for that with start three. for that first period of time right. we had three and there were the case managers were working out of there then they moved into that back garage area right um that's on this that's on this property and where the church is and then it, yeah it was, we so converted we, we converted the garage into be three office a conference room and a big area well before even that we converted the garage to be what was like kind of a sub idea of what the original safe house after school program was right. we had put tvs in there with video game systems yep. and we had talked about if anything were to happen from the refuge standpoint like this space right. could be available because at this point we had the refuge the building that refuge is in so what's interesting though is that before the adversity even happened things were lined up in place to help us get through it when the adversity did come yeah not even knowing that he had prepped us for the adversity before we knew the adversity was even going and to that's be something, on the horizon. I bring that up because that's something we're going to come back to in a little bit right. about the, the point of like the leadership lesson that we learned through this idea is that sometimes like you're getting prepped for adversity before the adversity ever comes. And what what separates you getting through the adversity sometimes is recognizing the opportunity to prep for said adversity before the adversity actually happens, right? Clarify that. That's and a little confusing so, to me. So what I mean by that is, go ahead, Brandon. Failure to prepare is, is to prepare, prepare to, fail. to fail. Yeah. So like when you when you look at leadership or vision, and we've talked a lot about vision over the last four or five weeks, and you talk about you know anything from leading your family to leading a small business to leading a ministry, is that it's easy to get comfortable when things are going well because it's like oh we we're we've overcome whatever to get to this point and so now we have to maintain right or now right. we have to manage and now we can things are flowing but the the inevitable truth is that adversity is coming again 
at some point, right? You're going to face some sort of adversity again. Right. And the trick is during those peaks, uh, those peak times, right, is to look for the opportunities to prepare for the valley times. Right. Because if you are unprepared for the valley times, that will inevitably come when you get into them. Those peak times are of their 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 memories. Right. Years ago, I was asked to go to what was called our international um, uh, youth camp program for the denomination. I was a teenager. And I remember that during one of the um, days that we were there, it was in Colorado. And I think this hits perfect with what you're saying. I remember going out on the side of this hill and I was looking over. You could see Pikes Peak and it was just gorgeous. And you saw the valley that was in there. And I remember the thought going through my mind that that look at Pikes Peak. And so I looked up at Pikes Peak, had a little bit of snow on it, but it's just a big rock. There's nothing that grows on top of it. And then I looked in the valley. It was in the fall. um, And I could see some farmers that were working some fields and stuff. And this thought went through my mind. Um, nothing grows on the mountaintop. It only grows in the valley. Right. And, and I think it's key for what we, what we go through at different times is that we want this mountaintop experience in life. Um, but you don't grow on the mountaintop experiences. Um, at least I haven't, well, maybe, maybe I haven't figured out how to do that yet. Um, but, but the mountaintop experiences are, you know, you're, you're in this, you know, just incredible things are going well. And, and it, it's, it's when you get into the rough time, um, of the Valley and, and, and the, the, you know, the darkness of the Valley and you see all this stuff that's surrounding you, the mountains that are surrounding you. It's really at that point that you figure out who you're going to hold on to and what you're going to hold on to. And, and, and so the Valley, I believe the Valley times, prepare you for the mountain time but i don't think you can live on the mountain and and i just the mountain is not sustainable for growth no it's it you it's the air's too thin right there's no there's no like it's not possible for things to actually sustain long-term growth and life on a mountaintop i mean there's some things that can but it it's not where it happens right? right and even the things that thrive on the i mean you could watch earth documentaries and the things that live on mountains the animals climb down to get their sustenance to give them what they need when they're up on them like it's just the way that the world works and it's and it's true of vision it's true of leadership it's true of families is that the the stuff that gets us to the peak that gives us the energy and the motivation and the sustainability to get to the peak is the stuff we experience when we're in the valley. Right. It's the stuff that we absorb or consume or learn about in the valleys. And there's a quote. Let me let me read you a quote that just okay. kind of brings us around. I don't want to hear your thought. Billy Graham said that comfort and prosperity have never enriched the world as much as adversity has. And when you think of adversity, you always think of it in the negative. You think of it as this this bad thing. And it's and it's discom it's uncomfortable. There's discomfort and it's not always good, right? right? I mean the adversity that we've experienced if we could pick it, we would not have picked it. But, and then there's adversity that comes because of bad decisions that you make, right? That are your fault, for example, you know, that, that could have been avoided if you would have been wiser or had listened to advice or counsel or whatever. But then there's adversity that happens that you have no control over. Right. And it's in that adversity where you have an opportunity to let it pull you back or hold you back or grow from it and learn from it and get the things that are going to sustain you as you climb the next, the next peak. And, um, do you, do you think, 
that failure, no matter how large or small it is, <clears throat> will kind of direct us or gets a path to to the valley? Gets us up. Well, if you fail or if you're failing to make right decisions, will that automatically send you down the road to to a valley? I mean, yeah. I mean, it's going to send you into a valley, but it's what you do with that is going to determine whether it serves you so, or holds you back. So the question I want to ask, which I'm not so sure there's an answer, is does every valley have failures that we need to learn from? I don't know that you're in a valley exclusively because of a failure. I think that failures can lead you to valleys that you can learn from. But I don't think every va valley is a result of a failure. Okay. I don't think so. Okay. Because I just because we there's ebbs and flows, you know? There's like for example, there are um reason why reason well, before you go on. But yeah, no, go ahead. Reason why I say that is because failure's not bad. Failure's not bad. If you learn off of it, right. the The question is not are we when are we going to fail. The question is when we're going to fail. Right. As human beings, we're going to make bad decisions. You know, one of the things that I'm excited about doing these podcasts is that for the first time in 30 years, I get to tell my side of the story. Yeah. Now it's from my perspective, and right. there's still probably people out there going to say that's not the way it happened, or that's not the way it worked because it's coming from their perspective. Right. But from my perspective, this is my story. This is how I've been through. But but I realized that over the course of my years of doing things, failure is not bad if you learn off of it. If you don't learn off of it, you're going to repeat the failure. Well, and that's my whole point is that adversity gives us an opportunity, right? And that opportunity is to learn from it or to not, right? Right? Because the failures will repeat themselves until you um, learn from it. John Maxwell, we've quoted him before, but he has a, he has a quote that he says that, that experience is not the best teacher. Right. Everybody's like, well, experience is the best teacher. And right. sometimes you can only learn if you fail. And while that's true, failure itself is not the best teacher. Experience itself is not the best teacher. He adds a word to it. He says that evaluated experience is the best teacher. Right. And what he means by that is when you experience failure or you experience success, what you learn from it is what you choose to apply to your own self to grow is what is, is the best teacher. Because you can experience a lot and not learn anything. Right. Right? Right. Because you're choosing to not learn from it. And then there's other opportunities where failure in and of itself is neither good nor bad. What you do with it determines whether it's positive or negative. Right? Yeah. And so when we experience failure, we will be faced with this choice. And this choice is, do I learn from this? Do I admit the failure? Do I apply the lessons that it can teach me? And do I move forward? Or do I blame other people? Do I give up? Do I stop? Right? Or do I keep going, banging my head like a, like a fly on a window or a bee on a window that sees the light, right? but can't get out because it doesn't realize that it's banging its head against a glass pane. Right. right, right. There's a, there's an experiment and we're, I feel like we're going on all kinds of different tangents, but I love this idea. There's an experiment where if you take a gnat and you put it, do you know about this Brandon where you put a gnat in a jar? Okay. And you put a lid over top of that jar, the gnat, I don't know if it's exactly a gnat. It might be a flea or it's some sort of bug. Um, <clears throat> and it will jump. Right. And it will hit its head over right. the top of the 
thing. Right. Eventually, it'll stop jumping at the point where the lid is to the point where you can take the lid off and right. it will never jump out of the jar. Because it doesn't because, want to feel the pain. Because it has experienced pain. Another interesting like social experiment that was done was with monkeys and bananas. Have you heard about this one? Do you know about this? They put I a bushel probably, of monkeys. They put a bushel of oh, bananas yeah, 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 yeah. at the top of a pole. And we're talking about failure and lessons and learning and experience. Okay. And this is just the way that that people are. Um, but they use this example with with monkeys and they put like a bunch of monkeys, three, four, five monkeys in a pen or whatever they put a bushel of bananas at the top of this pole and every time a monkey would climb they would spray that monkey with water and it would scurry down the pole and it wouldn't do it and so they just did this over a time to where the learned behavior was that if they climbed the pole they were going to get sprayed right and then they took the uh they one at a time they took a monkey that had been sprayed out and replaced it with a monkey that had never been sprayed the monkey that had never been sprayed would go to climb the pole all the other monkeys would pull them down. Don't do that. Right. Don't go up there. Something bad's going to happen right. to you. And then they continue to replace monkeys that had been sprayed with monkeys that had not. But the monkeys that had never been sprayed had been conditioned to believe that if you climb that pole, something bad's going to happen. And they did this over the course of time to the point where no monkey would let, would let any other monkey climb that pole to get to those bushels, even though they had replaced all the monkeys that had been sprayed with monkeys that had not been. So sprayed. what's that tell us? And so what it tells us is that when you are like we we are conditioned, we learn right from the things that happen to us and happen to other people. Okay, and so they they didn't ever try, and anytime they would try, they would get pulled down by others who had been pulled down by others who had experienced something bad. And so the point of that is <clears throat> the same thing of the evaluated experience, right? When we experience something that's negative. We have an opportunity to like essentially put a helmet on and keep going, right? Right. Or to let it keep us down. And then it affects the people that we have influence with as leaders, right? As as parents, as business owners, as whatever we're doing. We can't allow the negative experiences that we go through to keep us from climbing the pole again. Right. Right. Because if we do, then we are missing out on the bananas and the analogy kind of falls apart at some point you can't stretch it too far but the point it it matters that the the peak you have to climb the peak to get to the peak you don't just appear there no one drops you from a helicopter right, right. you have to work to get there and then when you get there in order to sustain any of that growth you have to get back down into the valley to get the tools that you need to get back up to the peak again and the beautiful thing about leadership and vision is that it seems to go like it seems to plateau at a certain point where your success hits a peak right and then the next valley can feel like it's a deeper valley than the one before it but then the next peak is higher right right and so you experience a little success and it's like oh my gosh i didn't expect this big of a valley to come next and then the peak comes and you're like wow this is better than i ever imagined and then the next valley comes and you're like oh my gosh i don't know how we're going to go through this but over the course, the timeline of your life, when you look back, you're like, we we never would have thought right. that we would, first of all, experience the pain and difficulty that we've experienced. We also never would have guessed that we would be experiencing the level of impact that we have. Right. Do you know what I mean? Right. And that's just us. And we, you know, we're just, <clears throat> I think waking that, up, trying to do it right every day. We right. didn't, we didn't set out for this. No, I think, I think if you look at the stories in the past that we've told it, it, it that monkey effect is there. 
where people would say, you can't do this or you shouldn't do this based off of the fears of their failure right. or fears of failure. Uh, one of the things that I've learned a long time ago, which comes out of the book that John Maxwell writes, which is Failing Forward. A great book if you want to read it about You can tell failure. who's influenced our leadership <laughs> yeah, over absolutely. the course of our lives. But but he made a statement. He said, if you're going to fall when you fail, you might as well pick something up while you're down there before right. you get back up. And And what I got off of that was the fact that when we fail, it's there for us to learn and and to evaluate what we've learned and to put it in to move forward. The failure of the bookstore was not a failure if I've learned off of it of what I didn't know back then on cash flow that I know now on cash flow. Right. And and so um, I'm constantly re going back and looking at my notes and saying, what did I learn off of this and how did I learn learn off of this? Not even knowing that when we purchased the church, God had already set us up that this building would become the answer to our daily problem, our daily programming problem, before I even knew that we were going to have a daily program problem. Right. You know? And 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 so when you when you looking at your life and and you understand that and you might say, Well, I failed at this and I failed at that. There's so many people in the world that'll quit trying. We talk about price because they don't want to experience failure again, or it's become personal. I'm stupid. I'm an idiot. Uh, most people don't fail. Uh, one of the things I learned a long time ago is this statement, practice makes perfect. No, it doesn't. Practice makes permanent right. is what it does. And if, if you practice, practice something wrong, incorrectly, it's still wrong. You're going to just do it incorrectly okay? all the time. It, it's a fact that you've got to practice correctly um, so that that practice becomes permanent um, muscle memory, whatever you want to talk, you can put it in any analogy that you want to put it in, but practice does not make perfect practice makes permanent. So if I'm, if I'm not throwing a strike, um, I'm going to make an adjustment. Right. And if you don't and you keep practicing, then you're going to be an expert at throwing non-strikes. Correct. Right. It's what you end up yeah. being. And so failure, I mean, look at it on in just uh, baseball. We're talking about analogies. Um, a good hitter, baseball hitter, in the pros hits 300. Yeah, can you imagine uh being 30% having a 30% success rate makes you the best in your field? That would be awesome. <laughs> but it's true. But it's true because that that's how hard it is to hit a baseball, but that it just goes to that show means like 7 times out of 10 it goes you up strike to the plate, out or you he does not get on base. Right. Okay? But yet we look at our life and we say, "Well, we failed in this." And before you know it, we just cancel everything right. because we failed or someone looks and says you're a failure and i remember people in my life early on not a lot but there was two or three people would say why in the world would you want to hang around with bobby denon he's nothing but a failure he's not going to make anything out of his life why would you want to stay around him and i remember an individual that said that that didn't know i was in the building when when they said right that. And it rattled me. You've shared this story with it, the kids at yeah, Safe House. It rattled me to the point that was like, you know what? I thought she cared more about yeah, me than yeah. what she did. And and here she this is her true opinion. Who I could have let that statement bury me. Why in the world would you want to hang around with Bobby Denon? He's from the east side of Cambridge. He's never gonna amount nothing to anything in his life. And I remember in the midst of trial and tribulations that that was a driving force to me where I would hear that voice of that person say that, why would you want to have anything to do with him? He's never going to become anything. And, um, and, and I'm, you know, 
Maybe I haven't become what that individual thought I should become, but I feel pretty good about what I've become. You certainly didn't <clears throat> turn out the way they said you would. And and but you know when it, go ahead. I mean to kind of bounce off that one thing that I kind of keep close is that even though hate doesn't burn clean, it operates as one heck of a fuel. You know. Yeah. 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 Keep you going, absolutely. Keep it you does. Wanting to prove them wrong, or you know, and then <laughs> the same thing with love. It makes you want to prove them right. You right. Know? Whatever yeah. they might say. Well, and that again comes down to how you choose to handle what you're faced with, but, right? And let me say this. Because you could have chosen to believe it. You could have chosen to believe it, but instead you chose to not believe it, or you eventually just didn't let it get to a point where you had to decide, okay, I'm either going to let this person speak into me or I'm not, but you did that. Right. Like right. they their actions and their words didn't determine what path you took, but you could have led it. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And that's the thing that we keep coming back to Here's, is that choice in adversity is what determines whether the adversity is beneficial or holds you back. Well, you, you said a key word a while, a while back was that evaluated experience. Um, if if I look at that statement of what you said with hate and I see hate. If I'm not careful, I will begin to hate myself because of what other people think I am. And I'll let I'll let that be uh, my first failure will be. Well, they were right. Yeah. You question whether or not they're accurate. Right. And so yeah. I, I've got to turn that that aggravation or I don't know if I like the word hate or not, but I have to turn that to a place of where it needs to be, of where it's going to drive me to learn, to evaluate, to move forward. On, on the picture of where I want to be. Right. And at that point, success for me was having a, a job, preparing for the family, making sure we had food on the table and a house over, you know, a, right. a, a roof over our head. And, and at that particular time, after those words came back, the first driving force that I had was be a good father, be a good husband, be a good provider. Right. You know, and that was the driving force that was there because at times it would be like, you know, and not saying, I mean, I, I say this to the kids all the time. The, the, the number one failure in the room right now is Bob Dennett. I've made more mistakes than anyone. Um, I have failed more than anybody has ever failed. Uh, we could, we could spend the next 10 years talking about my screw ups, but what I've decided to do was not to list them as if they were bad things against me, but I've listed them and say, okay, missed it here, won't miss it here. We're going to make this next step because of what I've learned off of here. And, and yeah, there's, there's collateral damage when you fail. There's always collateral damage when you fail. Um, and, and part of the price that you pay on vision and moving things forward is always off of that collateral damage. But there's always people that come across your path that won't want you to move forward because of their past fears of their failures right. that they had. Uh, I think that there's a great story in the Bible that talks about someone that really went through adversity. And um, that's uh, we want to transition and, and, and tell the story of uh, this person in the Bible. But I want to pivot to it by talking about like we're in the middle right now globally of huge adversity. Yeah. Right? I mean, huge adversity. I mean, something that we have never faced as a society and most of us probably won't be alive when and if we ever face it again. Correct. It's just it's just it's a once in a century it's wild adversity. And of course, we're talking about this global pandemic and the COVID-19 and the virus and 
say what you will and people have varying opinions about like the legitimacy of it and and whether numbers are accurate and constitutionality from from a domestic issue about how they're handling it and state by state issues and everybody's got their opinions but the the truth of the matter is is that we are smack dab in the middle not at the beginning not at the end we're right in the thick of the biggest adversity we have ever experienced as a as a national and global human race as a society and um of the industrial of the, yeah like moment. like i mean of course right. there's wars and there's you know holocaust i mean there's been terrible things that have happened globally over the course of human life that but this right now is a huge adversity that's the point Correct. that i want to make yeah and we have a choice we have an opportunity here as leaders as pastors as parents as friends we have a choice to either let this like hold us back right or to find something in the middle of it that at some point can serve us and other people, period. Now, that's not to say, because I have friends that their jobs have been deeply affected by this, and they're angry, and they're sad, and they're upset. That's fine. I'm angry and sad and upset with them. I'm not saying, buck up, like, let's, you know, have a positive attitude. No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is that adversity equals opportunity, and that's it, right? And so we can be angry. We can look at it as something that just is terrible. It sucks. I wish that it wouldn't happen. Those are all true. I'm not minimizing the struggle that people are going with. And I want to be very clear about that because it's important to understand that if there's grief or depression or sadness in the middle of this, that's fine. You, I'm not going to say anything about how you shouldn't think that way. And it's all about how you think this is a terrible situation and it, and it's, you need to walk through the grief. Right. But that does not mean that there's not opportunity. Right. And that's the difference between adversity holding you back and adversity moving forward. To give you an example of some stuff that I'm experiencing, I know a lot of pastors, right? And <clears throat> pastors are now talking about whether or not they should do church, like uh, gathering in worship like a normal Sunday, right? With people coming in. And so I know a lot of pastors are reaching out to their boards and their elders and their, their people. And they're saying, do you want, if we came back, what would it look like? Right. Every business, at least in the state of Ohio, right. for sure. And across right. the country is trying to figure out what it looks like when we get back to what is the quote, everybody's using this term, the new normal, which is fine, whatever. Everybody's trying to process it. What, <clears throat> what's interesting about it though, is that from day one, I looked at this as a, as a church leader, even though I don't, I'm not a pastor of a church, I'm a leader in the church as a church leader. I run refuge. These are opportunities for us to connect with people in ways that we've never done before. Right. And so now I'm seeing these pastors and some of these church members who are shifting from this opportunity idea to where it's, they're just angry. Right. And they're expressing this anger on social media. They're expressing this anger to me personally. They're expressing this anger to, cause I just had a conversation with a pastor who can't believe how angry his people are. And so this is a long way around of going when we, we can't, we cannot as leaders, look at this um, adversity as anything other than an opportunity because we have a chance to serve people in a way that we have never had before. Yeah, but the leaders facing something here that we've talked about for the last four weeks, and that is the fact that he he or she cannot get everybody to agree. And that and that's the— And that's, and, that's really a struggle for a lot of them right now. And that's a struggle for leadership in general, which again— that adversity 
is an opportunity. Like Correct. You're, we're not, you're not going to be right. able to get me off of this, this soapbox about adversity being opportunity. That's not to say that you can't call up a friend and say, man, these people are driving me crazy. Like I need to just vent for a minute. This is bugging me. I need to get this out. And then you, you, you go and you put, put your head down and you go to work. Right. Right. The, 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 the struggle that I'm having and the thing that I'm dealing with is that I have friends that I'm really close with that are handling exactly like that. They're venting to their friends, they're processing it in a healthy way, and then they're going and they're doing, right? And then I have other people that I am associated with or that I have seen that are publicly like asking for support and then publicly like bashing it when they don't get it. And it's like, that's not, that's not like turning opportunity like into... That's not turning adversity into opportunity. Like That's asking turning... the sheep their opinion, and then when they tell you their opinion, you cut their throats. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And then I saw something. This drives me crazy. And again, I, I I warned everybody that I was close with that this podcast is going to hear my voice a lot more, because like this is this is the kind of stuff that bothers me about um, adversity and opportunity and how people process things. Sometimes is that I was on Facebook the other day, which was a mistake probably, and I saw this meme, this picture of. And I told Brandon about this of, uh, it was a picture from world war two of Adolf Hitler, um, saluting all of his soldiers and they had superimposed in Photoshop or whatever, a picture of Ohio governor, Mike DeWine over the face of Hitler. And what they were implying was that he was dick. He was a dictator who was infringing on the constitutional human rights of Ohio citizens. I'm not a constitutional expert. Maybe what he's doing is unconstitutional, but it is nowhere near right. what Adolf Hitler did. Right. And the fact that they're looking at this adversity and they're going, we need somebody to blame. Right. Right. We're going to compare a man who has publicly done nothing but try to protect the citizens in the state in which he was an elected official. Okay. And you can argue whether or not that's his motivation or not. But he's certainly not responsible <laughs> right. for the death of an entire religious belief, heritage, culture group of people. Right. And when we as leaders and influencers, if we slip into this blame thing, right, mm -hmm. right. when we're faced with adversity, we miss out on all kinds of potential opportunities for the peak to happen. Right. Right. We right. get stuck in the valley. We gorge ourselves on the stuff that's in the valley and we don't ever get to the next plateau, right? We don't ever get to the next peak. And so what I want to do is I want to take all of this for the next couple minutes. We got about 10 minutes or so that before we try to wrap up and we can go long, whatever. But the story in the Bible that, that really resonates with me when it comes to adversity and overcoming is the story of Joseph. And yep. it's in the, it's in the latter part of the book of Genesis. Joseph was a boy born uh, in a huge family. His father had, he had 12 other uh, sons. He, he was, he was one of 12 or 13 brothers and he was the favorite of the, of the uh, family, right? He, he was the one of the youngest and his dad liked him better than everybody else, it, which is probably not great, but it wasn't a secret. It just the way that it was. And so because of that, Joseph's brothers didn't like him. Okay. And you've heard the story probably, I'm not going to go into great detail, but it's interesting that there's one thing that was said in the text over and over and over again that we need to be reminded of in this current adversity that we're in right now. Whether it's an adversity related to this pandemic or not, right? Whether you have family issues, business issues, leadership issues, personal vision issues, or whether those things are a result of the adversity that we're facing as a society, 
the this phrase is true for us now just as it was true for joseph and his adversity joseph was thrown into a well by his brothers because they had said we're let's kill him right let's just kill him and then one brother was like no let's not let's not kill him i mean that's probably not a good idea let's toss him into this well and then forget about him now in that in his mind that brother was going to go back and get him right and so they threw him into a well, and then they saw a, a caravan of slave traders coming down the desert, and they said, oh, we got an idea. Let's not kill him. Let's not leave him here. Let's make some money off of him and then tell dad that he was eaten by an animal. So they took this jacket that his dad had given him. Everybody knows the coat of many colors. They dipped it in blood of a dead animal, and then they took it back to the father and said, oh, my gosh, Joseph was attacked. He was killed. We're so sorry he's dead. All the while, they had sold him off into slavery. So Joseph was put in, he was taken to Egypt. He was put into slavery in the house of uh, one of Pharaoh's assistants. And so here, let's, let's track through the things that happened to Joseph. He was thrown into a well. He was then sold into slavery, right? Right. When he was sold into slavery, and this is where we see the phrase in the Bible the first time. Okay. And the phrase is this, the Lord was with Joseph. And in some translations, they add the word, but at the beginning of that, but the Lord was with Joseph. And I love in the English language, the word, but actually means all of this stuff has happened. However, this is also true, mm -hmm. right? But the comma and then the, but is a huge, like English, like shift from one type of action to another, There's right? Three words you don't want used together. I'm sorry, but exactly because it essentially means it cancels that out that the sorry doesn't really <laughs> matter. Okay. Right. The but changes a lot. The B U T in the English language changes a ton of context. So Joseph was thrown into a well and sold into slavery, but the Lord was with Joseph. Right. And then it goes on to say that because the Lord was with Joseph, he was put in like the, like the second in command of this, like this assistant leader of this country's house. Okay. Right. So peak, right? He was in a valley, literally. And then he hit a peak as much as you can when you're a slave, I guess. But then Joseph, a strapping young man, caught the eye of his boss's wife. And his boss's wife wanted to experience some intimacy with Joseph and tried at length to get him to gate to cave. And this is what's interesting. Joseph said, I cannot do that. It would be a sin against God and my master. Right. And so he's like, no, I can't do this. Because I'm a person who's faithful to God, and this is wrong. But that this is a man who had been thrown into a well by his family and abandoned and then sold into slavery. So he could have easily looked at that adversity and blamed God. But instead, he was honoring God through the adversity because somehow, maybe, there was an opportunity here. And if there wasn't, he was not going to allow the adversity to shift him off of his faith axis. Right. And so, so uh, thrown in a well, sold into slavery. She couldn't get him to bed her. So she, when, when he ran away, she grabbed his cloak. Okay. This, you can read the text. It's, it's very entertaining. You're like, oh my gosh. And then she accused him of attempted rape. Right. And of course, who's going to believe the slave boy when he says, no, I didn't do that. Right. So Joseph was accused of rape. There was no trial. There was no way to prove whether or not he was guilty or innocent. He's a slave boy. She's the wife of his boss. Of course he's guilty, but he wasn't. He didn't. So then he was thrown into jail. So he's thrown in a well, sold into slavery, falsely accused and convicted of rape, and then thrown into prison. And then the text says it again, but the Lord was with Joseph. Joseph. 
right. incredible text, right? So he, all of these negative things are happening to him. In prison, he was so well-behaved and so wise and so like put together in the midst of this adversity that the prison guard put him in charge of all the other prisoners. Just stop for a second. Can we just put ourselves in a situation where if we are thrown into a cave or a pit, okay, and then we're sold as product, then we're falsely accused and betrayed by our justice system, okay, even if we have one, they didn't have one, it was just the way that it was, and then we're thrown into jail, I don't know many people who are going to be like, you know what, I got an opportunity to influence all these other prisoners, there's not a ton of people who are going to do that. Do you know what I'm saying? So, but the Lord was with Joseph and he became like the leader of all the other prisoners. It's like, wow, you're the most influential prisoner in this prison. And so I don't want to make the story super long. Again, please read it. It's super interesting. But what happened when he became the leader in the jail? Well, that's what I was going to say. There was, there was other people that uh, Joseph from the beginning of the story had this incredible ability to interpret dreams. Okay. Right. And so when he was a boy, and this was one of the things that fueled his brother's hatred towards him, is that he had dreams of like sun, moon, and stars kind of bowing down to like, or like celestial beings bowing down to a larger celestial being, and then sheaves of, sheaths of wheat and grain bowing down. And what he interpreted that to mean is that one day his family would, would bow to him as like they would be subordinates to his leadership, basically. Right. That's what okay? got him in trouble. And that's what with. got him in trouble. He maybe, he, maybe he was arrogant when he shared it. Like we always give Joseph the benefit of the doubt, but maybe he was a little cocky. But the truth is, is that he had an ability that was given to him by God to interpret dreams. And these two dreams that he had indicated that he was going to be in leadership over his family. And they didn't like that. I don't want to rush this part. Okay. He shared the vision. And it made his family turn against him. Correct. Keep that in mind. Right. He shared the vision, and when he shared the vision... <laughs> his brothers turned. People turned on Right. Even his father reprimanded him. Right. If right. you read the text, yep. his, his father... How dare you say... Kind of was like, no, like, what do you right. mean? He was still the favorite, but his dad right. was like, whoa, bro, what are you saying? And so he shared the vision, which anytime you share vision, there's risk, and you're always going to get... And this is what I mean when I say that leadership, anything that is worth doing, requires adversity. Right. You just can't do. I got another quote from Lou Holtz, who's a sports guy. Right. Like, but this quote is so true. Show me someone who has done something worthwhile and I'll show you someone who has overcome adversity. You can't do anything worth anything without experiencing some adversity. It right. just it has to happen. Right. Right. You can talk about coal being refined into diamonds because of an intense pressure or gold being purified because of intense heat. Like you can't do something beautiful and meaningful without experiencing something potentially terrible. Like right. it's just it, adversity require success and, and even art like creation requires adversity. It's just the way that it is in, in the ministry world. I've heard a lot of pastors say train wrecks. And, and one of the things that I always want to um, find out from a leader is one of the first things I ask him is what's been your train wrecks? And they look at me, sometimes they look at me weird and like, what are you talking about? And then yeah. others were like, I'll tell you, you got some time? I'll yeah, tell you I about got, my I train wreck. I got them on a, I got a list of them. Right. So, so we've got Joseph who shared this vision. It kind of turned his family against him, at least his brothers. Well, slavery, accused, put in jail. But the Lord was with Joseph. Then this ability to interpret dreams came back around again. Right. Right. And two men 
in the in the prison. One was the cupbearer for the king, which is an incredibly for Pharaoh, which is an incredibly important job. Right. He was basically the he was one of the most trusted advisors because he was the one who like made sure that nobody was trying to poison Pharaoh with his food. Right. So he would test it. Okay. And then and so and then a baker. Right. Like right. A, like just someone who worked in the kitchen. Okay. And so the they both had dreams. One was bad. The other was positive. Joseph interpreted it. The baker was going to get executed. Right. Sorry. You're done. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but they're going to put your head on a stick. Okay. And that came true. Like bummer. And so the other guy is probably like, man, oh, my dream's not like that. Right. And it turned out that the cupbearer's dream was that he was going to be reinstated to his position. He would be back to all of his splendor and glory. And Joseph asked him this thing. When you're in the presence of the king, when you're in the presence of Pharaoh, don't forget me. Right. Right. So what do you think happened? If we're following the trend of Joseph's life, of course he was forgotten about. Right. Because it's years later and Pharaoh has dreams and he can't they're keeping him up at night. He's having these dreams. He can't figure out what they mean. And then all of a sudden the cupbearer goes, oh, my gosh, I remember when I was in prison that which was a bummer of a time. Sorry about that, by the way. I had a dream and this young man interpreted it for me and it came true. He also interpreted another dream and it came true in a lesser successful way. So he's thrown in a well, sold into slavery, accused and convicted falsely of rape, thrown into prison and then forgotten about. Right. Right. And so then he is faced with an opportunity when Pharaoh comes and says he summons him. Joseph, bring the young man here. We need Joseph. So Joseph gets all done up, right? He's going to be in the presence of greatness, okay? And he gives, he lays out what the dream is. And then I love that the text says this specifically. Joseph could have taken all of the credit for this and said, yes, I'll interpret the dream. Here's what I want in return, right? He could have done all of that. Instead, he looks at Pharaoh and he says, I can't do it. But, and then he says, but, Right. I just it's so fascinating. But God will tell you what your dreams mean. And so here is Pharaoh, who in this time period was considered to be a God, a God or an extension of the gods of the universe. And this slave boy who's been in prison and forgotten has the audacity to go. No, you're not smart enough. And neither am I. But my God is. And if I'm Pharaoh, I'm thinking the God who allowed you to be sold into slavery right, and forgotten right. about. and But like, that's not what they were thinking. But you're reading the story going, there's opportunity here. And Joseph saw the opportunity, right, to honor God in the midst of adversity. He didn't know where this adversity was leading. And that's we talked about that when this building became available. We didn't know what we were going to face. Not there was all. just an opportunity. Right. And we had a choice to make. And thankfully, in hindsight, we made the right one. But who knows how it would have turned out. But the point is, is that sometimes the opportunity to overcome the adversity is presented before the adversity hits. Okay. And so Joseph looks at Pharaoh and goes, I can't do it, but God will. He interprets the dream and the dreams were essentially that there's going to be seven really good years of crops and production and, and farming and all this other stuff. And then there's going to be a seven year drought and famine. Okay. And so then Pharaoh's like, oh my gosh, like we got to figure this out. And Joseph essentially becomes the one who lays out the plan. He was put in charge to keep and put in a stockpile materials from the seven good years. So that way they could thrive and survive during the seven bad years. Right. Listen, I know that we're running out of time and I don't want you to rush the end of this. 
Which we're gonna, which we don't have to. We got right. some I time. Think, we're just gonna I think keep next going. Next week, you need to to <clears throat> let, let let's kind of cap this for right now because I think we could spend another twenty to thirty minutes on the whole process of what we want to talk about when it comes to this. One of the things I was writing down as you were going through the story is the highs and the lows. Right. Okay. Um, he had a high when his family loved him. He had a low when they didn't like him after he told the dream and the vision. He had a high when he was put into the king's house. He had a low when they was lied against and was put in jail. He had a high that came across to him when he was put in leadership in jail, in jail. Which that's 20 minutes by itself. That leadership will rise no matter where you're at. Yeah. If you are truly letting leadership rise. Right. You know, um, and then um, uh, that was the high. So he was able to um, tell the dream of the cupbearer and, and, and the baker. And then the low was he was forgotten. Right. And 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 then the high was that he was remembered, and the other high was that he was put in charge um, to to prepare for a bad time. Right. One of the things that I want to share with the people that are listening today is understand something. This took years. Um, this doesn't happen in, in a matter of about 20 minutes when you read the story. I'll give you an example. From the time that he was sold into slavery until— until he was moved into the king's house. Just the travel time from the time he they took him out of the well and he went into the city was a 30-day trip. Just that time frame alone was 30 days. And it was in the desert, and he was dragged along like any other slave person would be. Right. Sometimes we go through some real hard trials, and they seem like they last forever, and we're looking for an instant change that comes. And, and I remember these processes that we've been through. They didn't, it, you know, we tell the story and it, it's over with in about 20 minutes. But some of these stories have went on for months Well, and, and, and timetable at all. And th the adversity that's there and the opportunity and the adversity, it, you keep saying that over and over again, is, is that you've got to get to the position of where in the midst when it doesn't look like you're going to come out of the valley, that maybe that's where you're going to have to live for a while. You've got to look for the opportunity in the midst of that valley. You've got to look at the 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 process that's part of where you're at and what you're going through at that time. If not, you'll just quit and wait for the valley to come. It's through the process of the valley that the mountaintop experience comes, that the high comes. But it's the process of what you learn uh, through that and the failures that you make in that in that period of time. I wonder how many times Joseph fell when he was being dragged behind the cart or the ox when he was heading to the city when it was a 30-day trip that he was on. I wonder how much water did he get because um, he was a slave. I wonder how much food he got because he was a slave. I'm sure that he wasn't treated right. He was treated as the lowest of the low. They probably kept him healthy enough to try to sell him off is what they were trying to do. But it, we, we, we look at these stories and we say, okay, wow, that's a neat story, high-low, 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 and we can preach off of it. But the end result is what happened during the 30 days? And this is where I think about it all the time. What happened to the 30 days from the time that he was, his family that had loved him rejected him? And what was the thought that he went through in the middle of the afternoon when it's 100 degrees in the desert? He has nothing to drink. He's not even sure he's going to make it till night without, you know, dying of thirst. What was going through his mind at that time? 
and you can do it in all the lows. What was going through his mind when he knew that he was being lied about and he was put in jail? And all the years that he was in jail, the night after night of the darkness of the jail and the coldness of the jail. And and we have to understand it's nice for us to sit in our in our high moment, mountaintop moments in time and say, oh, yeah, I remember the valley. But so many times we don't remember the valley. We don't remember the restless nights that we've had. And I'm sure there's some people out there that's going through what we're going through that are afraid, that that are worried, that don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. And they're in the midst of that night or they're in the midst of that walking through the desert right now, not knowing what my next drink's going to be or not knowing what I'm going to eat the next time. But the end result that what I want us to remember off of today is the fact that the Lord is with you also. Right. God's with us in the midst of this. And when fear comes, and fear is not of God. Fear has never been of God. God is not fear. God does not bring condemnation. God brings hope. God brings peace. Um, and in the midst of all this turmoil that the world is in and where, where's our next meal coming from or where's my next paycheck coming from or I'm not so sure how this is going to turn out or am I going to lose family members uh, because of this disease that's out there and am I making the right decisions and, and I'm afraid. You have to keep in mind you can't let fear of failure or fear direct you in what you need to do when it talks about taking the opportunity to do something in the midst of adversity. Right. And and so as we go through the story of Joseph, there's so many times to just pause and let our minds kind of go through a process of saying, wow, what what would if I was him and I was sold from the family and I'm walking in the desert for 30 days? I I don't I don't see the king's mansion in my future. I, I don't see a resolve to this that's going to turn out good for me. Well, and, the, and there's no real time frame that it says in the Bible, but many people believe that research this and study this, that it was decades from the beginning of the story to the end. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was a teenager and he was a grown man when it was when we when we right. at the point we ended the story today, you know, when he was faced with this chance to become a leader uh, in this in this idea of of collecting during the seven good years and, and being ready for the seven and, bad and, years. Cause that, that, that the story and the story doesn't end at the end of the seven bad years. So there's a 14 year span right. that Joseph was in charge right that's there after that's after a decade plus of him being high and low, high and low, these extreme peaks and valleys. And so, but that, that phrasing is true. Like you said, and, and we're going to shift gears to wrap up, but that, that phrase is true, is true. But the Lord was with Joseph. That's true of us in leadership, vision, with our families, with our friends, with um, our businesses, in the middle of this, um, this, this global pandemic that we're facing. The, this is none of God hasn't abandoned us. He hasn't, he's not surprised by this. He's not walking around he's, in heaven. He's not his wringing hand, his hands, what to do. scared about how right. to serve us and, and how to, and how to challenge us to serve others. And the whole point of, of the episode today, or what we've been talking about is that when you are faced with adversity, I implore you, I'm, I'm like borderline begging you, please look for the opportunity because you have no idea what kind of potential is on the other side of your choice in the midst of adversity. And, and, and we have experienced that uh, over right. and over and over again. What I've learned is that opportunity has really nothing to do with anything except for other people in, in these situations. And so when you look for opportunity, 
the first thing that I look for is how can I have an impact on someone today? How can I um, bring my life into their life and have some kind of an impact, whether it's a a, a word, you know, we've, I've got several people that have put prayer requests out on Facebook because of a car accident for their daughter or, 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 um, a hospital visit that didn't go good or a loved one that has died and, and, and the pain that they're experiencing right now, that little bit of I'm praying for you or how are you doing? I, I watched it and, and I don't want to continue, but I'm going to say this in the end is that a, a lady was getting prayers for her husband that was in the hospital with some heart condition. And the only thing that I felt like I needed to do was, how are you? Right. You know, everybody's like, well, we're praying for him. We're praying that God will heal him. We're praying for him. And in the midst of 100, 150 people were making comment, the the one that, that hit me was, how are you doing? And and she she instant messaged me and said, no one's asked me that. Let me tell you where I was at. I was... I was a mess last night. I put it in the hands of God and peace hit me today. Right. And, and, you know, prayer's working. The guy's doing really good. She's doing good. They're being, you know, successful. But in the midst of opportunity, always, and you might say, well, I don't have money to give or I can't go out and do this right now. It's not about that. It's about how can I impact someone in the midst of this chaos that's going on that maybe will bring a little bit of hope to a dark time in their life. Right. And I want to emphasize too, if you're struggling with all this, that's fine, right? Sure. If you're struggling in the middle of this difficult time, we're not saying don't struggle. We're not no. saying that that's you. I've heard people say that if you're not getting in shape during this pandemic, then you're not doing it right. If you're I've not gaining 15 pounds, if you don't clean, <laughs> if you if your house isn't cleaner than it's ever been during this, then you're not doing it right. And it's like, no, I don't want to clean my house. I want to sit and eat, you know, Cheez-Its and watch <laughs> Netflix, right? Like I don't want to do anything sometimes. And that's legitimate. And so, you know what I do is I go get Cheez-Its and I put my sweatpants on and I watch Netflix. I watch new girl like on a loop, right? What, what's Cheez-It? It's Cheez-Its. the cheesy crackers. Oh, um, okay. Okay. I actually I don't have any Cheez-Its. I have goldfish that my kids eat, and don't tell them that I've eaten some of their goldfish. Anyway, um, what, but I, we're working. We're trying to do what we're doing, and right. I get to come. You know, the safe house is an essential business because of its, its mental health, and we do get to come to work, and we get to do this kind of stuff. It, it's way worse for a lot of other people, and so don't hear us say like, "Oh, just get through." You know, what we are saying though is that if we choose to. There are opportunities in the middle of any adversity, right? The majority of the time, sometimes the only thing good that comes out of adversity is opportunity is the choice to do something with it. Right. right? And so we're just saying, and at least I'm saying, if you're struggling with this, fine, great. Even just when, when you put your head in, in, on your pillow at night, I challenge you to ask yourself, what kind of opportunity do I have tomorrow? In the right? midst of this. In the right. middle of this. I don't have to be right. happy. I don't have to have it figured out. I don't have to, you know, even get up and shave the next day. You don't have to shower in the morning. Whatever it is, like, however you're doing this, like, we're with you, right? Like, that's what I'm, that's what I want people in my circle to know is like, if you want to be angry, come be angry with me. To t- Talk to me about it. I'm not going to tell you to, you know, be positive. What I am going to say to people, and I've said this to people every day, we do need to look for opportunity because yeah. we do have some. And so I want you to be encouraged in the middle of all this, whether you're a parent, cause you're le- if you're a parent, you're a leader cause you're leading your family. If you're a business owner, you're a leader. If you have vision for your own personal life, you're a leader. You, you might only be leading you and a couple other people that are with you, but you're a leader. Leaders find opportunity in adversity right. and be challenged by that. Be encouraged by that because this is 
like something that we'll never, God willing, we'll never face again. So let's look at it and say, if it's true that the Lord was with Joseph, is it possible that the Lord is with me? And if he is, what could this be leading to? Right. So with that, we're going to shift gears and we're going to start to wrap up the, this studio. This is the big announcement for the day. We've got kind of some other things coming down the pipeline, some opportunities for media and different sorts of like short film stuff that we're going to talk about. But this studio is going to be going away. It's going to be going bye-bye in the next couple of weeks. We are going to take that back room, that back storage garage that we used for offices, offices back in the day. And we get some, we've got some new equipment coming, some new cameras and some sound stuff. And we're going to take this makeshift studio that we have here and uh, which we worked hard on. I think it's served a great purpose and we had planned to be here for a year when we started and things are moving really fast and we got all kinds of stuff and opportunity. And we're going to be expanding the studio. We're going to get some more guests involved and some other people and so either I think we're going to do one more podcast in this studio with this set, the way that it looks right now. And um, and then the podcast after that, you're going to see some new stuff and we'll take a bunch of pictures of everything and give you guys a big tour of the thing. Yeah. I said the word tour. Do I say that word right? I get made fun of tour. tour. I get you're like tour tour tour. We went, we went really long today. I know, but it was good. How long have we gone? What's. We're like a what? an hour 16 right now. Yeah. Okay. So with that, we're going to wrap up episode Thanks, five. Thank yeah. you so much. We, we want you to, we're getting to a point where we're getting consi- consistent feedback from the same people listening. Good. And that's great. Click the share button, click the share button on Facebook, copy the link at, on YouTube, post it to Twitter. If you're on social media, whatever it is, like help us get the word out. Yeah. We don't, we we're happy with whoever listens, but we want to take the opportunity to get more people to engage with us. And so click the share button and um, subscribe to it on YouTube. So safehouserSD.com, safehouserSD on Twitter and and, and um, Instagram. And then if you search for Safehouse on Facebook, you'll find us. Bob Denon is, you can search for Andy Denon. Um, and we'll, we'd love to connect with you guys. So dad. Had a great time. Another one. Thanks again. Brandon, appreciate it, man. Absolutely. Another good one. Another good one. We'll see you guys next week. See you. Bye. Bye.